Well, thank you so much for your kindness to us this last week, for preserving, protecting us. Thank you, Lord. We've prayed for many people. We've prayed for you to be with Clara and have gotten good news back on her, and uh, we thank you for that. We continue to pray for others. We're grateful for Moose's stepmother being out of the hospital and uh, for you hearing us as we prayed for her. We pray that you continue to help her to recover. Lord, we ask you to be with us now as we look at the Psalm 28 and be with us, and may we be in strengthened and encouraged and and helped in jesus name amen say so we're going to turn to psalm 28 i'm calling it the house of god part three so i have those seasonal allergy things and so if i look a little dopey or a little raspy here sound a little raspy that's what it is so i gave up smoking long ago so it's not any camel filterless or anything of David, to you, O Yahweh, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of Yahweh or the, works of his, or the work of His hands. He will tear them down and, not, and build them up no more. Blessed be Yahweh, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Yahweh is my strength and my shield and my heart. Uh, in him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. Yahweh is the strength of his people. He is a saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. That was Psalm 28. Would somebody catch that door right there and just shut that? Thank you. So, uh, as we said, as we were looking at uh, Derek Kidner a couple weeks ago, just how he pulls together and shows that Psalm 26, 27, and 28 have very much to do with the house of God, the, the tabernacle, the temple, the sanctuary. So, Psalm 26, the worshiper as he approaches is searched by God's demand for sincerity, and in the last verse rejoices to have found access. In Psalm 27, he sees this house or sanctuary from his enemies uh, and is and as the place of vision face to face with God and in Psalm 28 he brings forward his petition spreading his hands as a suppliant towards the holy of holies and receives his answer and so just reminding us that 26 27 and 28 really do go together pretty well very well and so did you notice anything as we were reading Psalm 28 anything that maybe made you hearken back to one of the previous psalms or some patterns some repeats some refrains inside the psalm that caught your attention Anybody see a transition in the song? I see quiet heads nodding yes. I refuse to talk in public, but yes. So you should have seen a shift, and we'll, start, we'll go through, as we go through this, you'll see where it's at, the shift in the psalm itself. There's a change in the psalm. But um, anything else? No? Okay, let's move on then. So um, I am 
calling it House of God Part 3, and here's how it breaks down. The plea, verses 1 and 2. Problem, verses 3 through 5. Praise, verses 6 through 7. And then people, verses 8 through 9. Okay, so there's, you can probably break this out in different ways, but there's the four parts as uh, I broke them out. And so the plea, the plea in verse 1 and 2 sounds like near desperation. What is the plea? If you look at verse 1 and 2, what is the plea? Yeah, crying for help. That's part of it, yes. Yes, he wants God to hear. That's also part of his plea. I want to be heard. To you, O Yahweh, I call. Do not be deaf to me. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. So it's not just help in this situation, but also I want to be heard. Right? So he's asking, he's pleading with God to be heard. Okay? And so it almost sounds like desperation. You know, in the sense of, I don't feel like I'm being heard, I want to be heard. So here's what, uh, and I'm going to have, I have a couple of quotes from Charles Spurgeon, his uh, multi-volume work called The Treasury of David. Uh, But as he talks about this psalm, he points out in verse verse 1 and 2, he says, God's voice is often so terrible that it shakes the wilderness, but his silence is equally full of awe to an eager suppliant. I want you to notice he also uses the word suppliant, okay? Just so you'll know. So when God seems to close his ears, we must not therefore close our mouths, but rather cry with more earnestness for when our, for when our something grows shrill, who knows, voice, should we say voice, grows shrill with uh, eagerness and grief, he will not long deny us a hearing. Sorry, I need an editor. And so I, I appreciate him bringing that out, that there are times in the Christian's life when it feels like there's no, that God is not listening and so his, his point is, is very much the book of Job. His point is, don't stop the conversation. Keep the conversation going, right? Keep crying out. Keep calling out. Our tendency is to do what? What would be our tendency? We feel like we're not being heard. To stop. Yeah. Yeah, field position. Yes. Right. Okay. And so, you know, it's like when you're dealing with uh, your spouse or your adolescent kids, either one. It works the same way. When you feel like you're not being heard, after a while, what do you do? Right? You just quit, and you just walk away, right? And so that's our tendency, and I appreciate that that David is showing, here's a guy who's not going to stop, and that's what Spurgeon is highlighting, is the fact that probably the hard, one of the harshest time, hardest times for a Christian is when he feels like heaven's ears are closed to them. Okay? And I think that's really helpful. But so keep the conversation going. Keep praying. Uh, also, this book, and I've referred to this book before. I recommend this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Uh, don't ask me to pronounce his last name because I will insult myself or him. But Mark uh, V, we'll just call him V, wrote this book. Uh, I loved it. Uh, and he says it this way. <clears throat> I'm talking about Psalm 28. As you become more familiar with requests in the Psalms of lament, you'll notice how often God's silence is mentioned. If you've felt the deafening silence of heaven, reach out to the Lord and ask Him for help. If you battle the, the dismay of wondering whether God still hears, keep pouring out your request. Same thing that Spurgeon was saying. Keep it up. Okay? 
So how does David describe what his experience of divine silence uh, would feel like? How does he describe it? Yeah. Go get down. Yes, that, that last part of verse 1, I, am, I become like those who go down to the pit. You know, you think about uh, if you do funerals or ever deal, you know, if you go to maybe a visitation, a viewing, there's no life there, and it's, you know that that person probably can't, can't hear you, right? So it just feels like that. That's how he describes it. It's like I would be the one actually being buried. No one's hearing me. So what a description. It feels like death. Yeah, I mean, well, there is a sense of that in the next section, okay? But here, pit is a synonym for Sheol, for the place of the dead, right? So he's talking about being buried. Uh, and so, or, or if you think about uh, after a, a horrible uh, catastrophe and how they do, uh, uh, what do they call them? Big graves. What do they call the big graves? For? Yeah, mass graves. When they do a mass grave, they dig down into a pit and they put them in. And so he's, he's describing this silence like he's been put into a that kind of a pit okay it's very very heart heart uh, touching very heartrending so in the second verse the psalmist equates a physical action with prayer what is he equating his physical uh, what physical action is he equating with prayer yeah lifting up our my hands right so lifting up my hands towards your sanctuary so i just Emphasize it again, putting your body into your begging, your posture and your praying. It is very biblical. So what are different postures that you see in Scripture when it comes to prayer? Huh? On your face, prostration, bend. Huh? Kneeling down. Okay? The Apostle Paul knelt down with the elders before he left them and they prayed. You know, for example, so there's that. Here's one right here, lifting up hands. Okay? Um, any, any other postures you think of? Yeah, turning your face toward heaven, okay? And so that's the, the biblical notion. If the biblical idea is if you are God's creation, body and soul, then your body is just as much a part of your communicating with God as is the non-physical part of you. And you know that's the case. You know that non-verbal communication is extremely important, right? If Moose walks up to you and says, I love you. You know, his nonverbal communication says there might be a question to the sentiments there, right? So the nonverbal communication is important. So that's why there's nothing wrong, and it's very biblical and very correct to put your body into your praying, okay? And again, as I've said before, it's very interesting. The only time you ever see anyone sitting in prayer is David, and it was personal prayer, and it's in 2 Samuel 7. And he goes into the temple, nobody else is there, and he sits and prays. And it's the only time you see anyone sitting to pray. The rest of the time, they're standing, kneeling, uh, standing, kneeling, prostrate, hands up, looking up, beating their breast, things like that. Throw your body and your begging, your, your posture and your praying. It's very, very biblical. So what direction, what is David's direction, or what direction, uh, what is Wow. What is David's direct... No, wait, hold on a minute. What is the direction 
Yes, that David's physical actions and pleas are gunning for. No. Notice that his language. Where is he actually physically aiming or say verbally say he's physically aiming as he lifts his hands? Yeah, the sanctuary, okay? Now, he could be talking about the tabernacle. This could be after he's brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and he set up a tent for the Ark of the Covenant. He could be talking about that because the Hebrew word for sanctuary is, the whole, is, is that language is often used for the Holy of Holies. So he may very well be referring to that, that tent he set up for the Ark of the Covenant. There was that season when the Ark was separated from the tabernacle. You may remember what I'm talking about there. And so, but either way, it's this place that God has said he would be heard from, okay? So yeah, so I just dealt with that. So what is this most holy sanctuary? I just talked about that. Um, maybe the close connection between the sanctuary and prayer can be better seen with Solomon. So let me, I'm gonna, I have a reason for bringing this up this way. So here's Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 through 30, when he is dedicating the temple. The temple's been built it's not been used yet because the dedication hasn't happened. So now it is prayer of dedication. And I want you to notice the connection he makes. The truth he says about God, um, the truth he says about God, and then the, what he talk, how he brings in prayer and place. So keep all that together. Here you go. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Yahweh, my God. Listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So what's the truth that Solomon says about God? Yeah, he doesn't really live in the temple. The temple couldn't contain God. And by the way, it's funny. Solomon prays this, and uh, everybody's okay with that. But then years later, Stephen, when Stephen points out in Acts chapter 7, that the temple is not God's physical dwelling place, he gets stoned for it, right? Very interesting how, how God's people can slide from those basic truths. And so, yeah, the temple cannot contain God, but what's the connection then that he's making here between prayer, place, and God himself? I'm, I'm sorry? Yeah, that your eyes will be open, your, and it's also implying the ears. Your ears will also be open toward this house so that what? It's right there. It's underlined. I underlined it for you. So when somebody prays toward what? The temple, you'll hear, right? Isn't that interesting? So there's a, there's a physicality to this. Now, we don't like to talk about it this way because, and rightly, as good Protestants, we say that God is not any closer to us in one place or the other, so, so to speak, okay? And so there's, that's a very accurate way to say it, and that really comes from when you get to Acts 7 and, and, and beyond that.
escape. And that's true. But it's interesting that Solomon in this prayer, and God honors Solomon's prayer. That's exactly what he's going to do. As you pray, as people pray toward this place, then the Father toward the temple, because it's the sacramental symbol of God's closeness, of God's presence. Remember that. We talked about that last week. That the tabernacle and the temple was that reminder that God dwelt in the midst of His people. Okay? And so it's a, sacra- kind of, it's a sacramental symbol. And so as you pray towards this temple, or as they pray towards this temple, then that you would hear from heaven. Okay? Can you understand then maybe a little bit why certain groups even today turn to the east and pray toward a holy place? Yeah, makes good sense in that, in that regard. Okay? As Christians, when you move into the New Testament, you begin to realize that that's not necessary. Okay? But it was at this point under the Old Testament. So how would you translate then, or how would you apply then verse 2 as Christians? Some Christians have applied verse 2. Anybody know how? No, the prayer towards the sanctuary. And so in certain traditions, after the consecration of the bread and the wine, if there's any bread left over, it's put up close to the altar in a tabernacle, and you can get closer to Jesus by coming back into the church building and praying toward the tabernacle, this box that holds the consecrated bread. Okay? Anybody know that tradition I'm talking about? That's Roman Catholic. Okay? And the Eastern Orthodox have a little bit something similar, where they make the place so sacred that that's where you're really closer to God, and so you come in there to pray. And there's some value to doing that, in the sense that when you, you think about our sanctuary, I do this all the time, I'll walk into our sanctuary, close the door, and sit down and pray, because I have all these memories of us gathering to hear the word preached, the hymns sung, communion given, baptism, and all those things, and there's nobody else in there, and it's quiet. Right? And it's wonderful. But it's not any more sacred, and I'm not going to get heard any more in there than I am in my library or if I'm over at your house visiting you. Does that make sense? Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah. So I do that. I do that a lot. If I go, if I see you in the hospital, you can count on the fact that probably as I'm leaving, I will walk by the chapel if it has a chapel, and just spend some time praying for you and then some other folks as well, just alone. So it's really helpful. Yep. So even here in Psalm 28, verse 2, as he's praying towards the sanctuary, I mean, his body is turning. Wherever he's at, he's talking about his body actually turning. I mean, he's, everything's involved, okay? And that's extremely important, too. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. So there's the plea, verse uh, 1 and 2. Then comes the problem, verses 3 through 5. So what is the problem? As you look at verses 3 through 5, what is the problem? Yeah, we're back to evil people. Interesting. Who speak peace with their neighbor while evil is in their hearts. 
okay? And so he talks about their evil deeds and so forth. So what David asks for two things regarding this problem. What are the two things he asks? And Steve has already kind of stepped into one of them a minute ago. What's the two things? Good job, Steve. Yeah, that's the one, that's one of them. So repay them according to what they've done and what they're doing. Okay, what's the other thing he's requesting? Yes, do not drag me off with the wicked. Make a distinction. Okay, do not drag me off with the wicked. Yep, do not drag me off. goes very, very closely with Psalm 26, verse 9 and 10. So look back quickly at Psalm 26. Somebody read for us verse 9 and 10 of Psalm 26. Yeah, we're back to that same similar petition. Make a distinction. Don't lump me in the same group with them and what they're going to receive, right? Make a distinction, okay? I think that's really, really helpful to keep that in mind, that there, there are times when things are going on, sometimes you want to say, don't you know that in this situation I'm actually innocent? Yes, he knows. But we need to say that. So don't treat me like them. Don't drag me off with them. Don't give me the same results an outcome that they're going to get. Okay? Very fitting prayer. So, how are the problem people portrayed? We've already talked about this a little bit. How are the problem people portrayed? I did three P's there and didn't even realize it until just now. Yeah, they speak peace, but there's not a, an ounce of peace around, right? In their own hearts. What else? Yeah, yeah, we get down to verse 5. They don't, they, don't, they don't pay attention or give any regard or respect to God's work, to the Lord's work. And then evil deeds. So it's some broad categories, but you, you can see those. That's how they're being portrayed. So David's trust in the rightness of God is shown how? Look at verse 5 especially. David's trust in the rightness of God is shown how? Yes, eventually he will tear them down and build them up no more. Eventually, okay? David doesn't say when, like next week or in my lifetime. He doesn't, he just, that's an open end. But he, they will at some point receive their just deserts. Or as someone used to say, God will come and put all wrongs to rights. It's probably a British phrase, but it works for me, right? It's a great way to put it. But that's his trust, his trust in the rightness of God. At some point, if there's no repentance and change, they will get what they justly deserve. Okay? So think about the value. What's the value of verses 3 through 5? As you think through verses 3 through 5, what's the value of it? Well, you're thinking, I'm going to get a drink of water. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yep, yep, right. 
so he is. He's trusting that the Lord will actually take care of this, that the Lord can, can make a distinction, that he will make a distinction, and that he will finally give them what they deserve if they continue down that path. And yes? sort of maybe yeah yeah but I mean this is definitely Godward conversation he's talking to God he knows that God makes a distinction he wants him to do something that makes a distinction and that's one of the things I think is the value of these verses how many times and I don't know what everybody else has been in but there are times when you really need to have that distinction made by God not necessarily by men but it would be nice if the judge or whoever made that distinction too but you really need God to make that distinction, to show that that distinction is there, okay? And um, so, the, oh, so there you go. Think about the value. So let me move on, because um, I'll just keep on waxing whatever. So this, again, is Spurgeon. The main pleading of this psalm is that the suppliant may not be confounded with the workers of iniquity for whom he expresses utmost abhorrence. It may suit any slandered saint who, being misunderstood by men and treated by them as an unworthy character, is anxious to stand aright before the bar of God. The Lord Jesus may be seen here pleading as the representative of his people. That was a really a very important observation from Spurgeon. But that, if you've ever been slandered, you know, this is the prayer right here, right? But then seeing our Lord Jesus as representative pleading for his people, who himself would know what it is to be in your shoes. You could just go back to the kangaroo trial and realize how often he was prosecuted there wrongly and he was slandered and all of those things. And so when, he, when you're praying, praying towards the sanctuary, praying towards Jesus, right? You know that as you do that, he knows what it is to be in your shoes. Right? And then knowing he's interceding on our behalf in that regard. Anything else on the problem, verses 3 through 5? All right, the praise. Here comes the shift. Notice the change in language. You get to verse 6 and 7, there's a change in language. Anybody know what's the change in the language? Yes, it goes from pleading and petition to praise, Okay. So there's a shift here because something, as he's writing the psalm, possibly has happened. God has answered his prayer in his moment, and now he comes and he praises, okay? Um, Very good. So verse 6 and 7, how do verses 6 and 7 draw from Psalm 27? Specifically, I have in mind verse 1 and then the the first verse and the last two verses of Psalm, Psalm 27. So let me read verse 6 and 7 again. Blessed be Yahweh, he has, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Yahweh is my strength and my shield, and him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. So how does that harken back to Psalm 27, first verse and the last two verses? Yeah. Right, that's verse 1. So God is a stronghold, and that's what he, he calls him here, my strength. Verse 13 and 14. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the expectation. And so let your heart take courage. And now you come here and it says, in him my heart trusts. Right? And trust and wait go together. Okay? Very good. So there are some, there's some other connections there between the two psalms. So what is the exciting moment? As you look at verse uh, 6 and 7 here, what is the exciting moment in verses 6 and 7? Yeah, I am helped. What a great moment to be in. And that's a reminder, because sometimes when we're rescued from something, how often do we immediately go and give thanks to the Lord and say, you have heard my prayer, I have been helped. Right? Do you do, you do that? Nobody else has had any problems, right? Yeah, we've got to skip over that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of our natural inclination to think, well, I knew it was going to happen. You know, or there wasn't anything in here after all, you know. But instead... To actually say, no, Lord, thank you. I have been helped. So remembering what God has done and giving thanks for it. Okay? Bruce, we're going to say something? Yeah, yeah. It is, it is, it is exciting when, when you remember and then you realize what's happened and you go, oh, thank you, I have been helped. This is... Yeah, what a coincidence, yes. Yeah. Sure was lucky. I've done that one before. I've said that before just as a humor and sarcasm. What are the odds? And so notice how he ends verse 7, and with my song I give thanks to him. Uh, Spurgeon says this. So if you don't like it, get mad at Spurgeon. We serve a great God. Let us greatly rejoice in him. A song is the soul's fittest method of giving vent to its happiness. It were well if we were more like the singing lark and less like the croaking raven. (laughs) When the heart is glowing, the lips should not be silent. I love singing. You love singing. I watch you. I get to hear you because when I'm at the front, I get to hear you sing. And that, that is often a rule of thumb of mine. When I go into a congregation anywhere, just visiting or whatever, to kind of gauge the life of that congregation, I listen for the singing. And what I found in a lot of our Protestant churches is that people don't sing anymore. Because you have a performance band up in the front and it begins to play so loud that you can't hear anyone. I remember walking in one church one time and I saw about half the women singing and almost none of the men singing and the music was so loud I couldn't hear any of them singing, right? And so uh, it's a, it is a, I think it's a, it's a valid gauge over the, the depth of the spirituality and the healthiness of a congregation is what's the singing like? Don't be judgmental or pharisaic about it, but what's the singing like? You know, and so it, they may not be singing because they don't know the song. That's always a possibility. But generally, the trend: what's the singing like? I mean, I think it's very valid. And here you have David. That's exactly where he goes. 
when he's giving thanks, he goes immediately to song. I sing, right? I've sung. I think it's a great way to put it. And then as Spurgeon puts it, it's right to vent our happiness with song. I vent, I vent all kinds of emotion with song. I'm walking around the building, you know, I start talking about R-E-S-P-E-C-T, and everybody just kind of rolls their eyes, you know, whatever. I vent all kinds of emotions, but it's really fitting to vent that joy in the Lord and that happiness. I have been helped with song. So there you go. All right, so anything else on uh, the praise? Anything else before we move to the last two verses? So people, the last two verses. So in seeing the deep relationship between verse 6 and 7 to verses 8 and 9, Del Ralph Davis puts it this way. He notes this. Um, It would probably be right to say Yahweh is the strength of his people because he is a saving stronghold for their king. As goes the king, verses 6 and 7, so go the people, verse 8 and 9. If the king is victorious, the people are secure. With a little thought, a Christian can grab hold of this. If his or her king has died, risen, sits at the right hand of God, and intercedes, Romans 8, 34, who possibly can condemn? As king, so people. I think there's a good connection to make between verse 6 and 7 and verse 8 and 9. So let me put those four verses together. Here's David the king singing, Blessed be Yahweh, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Yahweh is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. Yahweh is the strength of his people. He is a saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. So very fitting that David goes from himself to the people that he represents. So as goes the king, so goes the people. My little pointer is falling apart, so that's why I keep fiddling with it. So let's just walk through some of these verses um, very quickly. As you look at verse 8. So Yahweh is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge. And that Hebrew word is uh, Yeshua. Anybody know what that sounds like? Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Right? So Jesus means Yahweh is my salvation. And here's what he's saying. Here's David saying, he is, he is my Yeshua. He is my saving refuge, the saving refuge of his anointed. It's very interesting that the two go together. I don't know that David meant those things, but sometimes the writers in the Old Testament, because of the Holy Spirit, wrote bigger things than they intended. And it just comes out. He is my Yeshua, my saving refuge for His anointed, His Hamashiach, His Messiah, His Christ. Okay? Just pulls those together. It's really interesting. Yeah. But it's that connection. As goes the king, so goes the people. So the first part of verse 8, the people and then the king. Right? So yeah. So that there is a connection. There is a distinction, but there's a connection. So then, heritage. Um, o Lord, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Their heritage. I love that language because that comes out of Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 and 7, um, where, we were, we, um, where the Lord has borne us on eagles' wings out of Egypt, and we are His treasured possession. 
right? And that runs all the way through the Old Testament, runs into the New Testament, being God's treasured possession, His heritage. You'll hear the words again from Colossians 1.12 this morning in the service when I give the assurance of pardon that I'll come from Colossians 1.12, that He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, okay? And so we need to remember that, that God treasures His people. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. You are God's treasured possession. Not because you're really valuable or you're really just cool people, right? You're the best. But because of His grace, because He's made you His own. So when we begin to doubt, do I have any value? Maybe Psalm 28 verse 9 should be where you go. Yeah, I'm part of His heritage. We're, We're His treasured people. That's exciting. Verse 9, as you look at verse 9, save your people and bless your heritage, be their shepherd and carry them forever. That verse uh, found its way rightly into many of the ancient prayers like the Tadeum. Uh, if you ever just go look it up, the Tadeum, it's the, actually the last verse in the Tadeum. Um, those of you who are familiar with the, the Book of Common Prayer, you, you've heard it for, for years. You just didn't realize you were hearing it, but it's actually the last statement in the Tadeum. Uh, so it's found its way in many of the ancient, uh, several ancient prayers. It's also found its way in one of my daily prayers as I pray for you, as I pray for uh, fellow ministers and elders and other believers. I pray it often. Oh, Lord, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. I mean, it's, it's a, at least for me, it's a very meaningful prayer because you're praying for everything you don't even know that they need. And you're asking God to carry them with, through it and, and that He would shepherd them and He would be with them through it. So verse 9 is extremely important. And so notice the language, the carry language. Carry them forever. And out of Isaiah 46, verses 3 through 4, listen to me, O house of Jacob and all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am He. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. Wow, I don't know. He's talking to the people of Israel, but still it's very encouraging as some of us get gray hairs, you know, right? Nice to know. Yes, you're the God who carries us. You've carried us from the womb. You'll carry us beyond even the grave, right? Through all of our Bleeding days. We actually sing it in one of our songs, one of our hymns, where we talk about hoary heads, right? That hoary doesn't mean we got pointed, you know, points. It means talking about white hair, hoary heads. You're with us even when we have hoary heads. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, probably more like it. It's like there's one set of footprints and a bunch of drag marks. 
I don't know about anybody else, but that's the way it is with me, so, yeah. Very good. So we have a hymn. I love Psalm 28. It's really a delightful psalm. And Psalm 28 can be considered a, a summarized by this, this hymn. This is hymn number 78, O Bless the Lord My Soul. O bless the Lord my soul, nor let his mercies lie. Forgotten in unthankfulness and without praises die. If you want to join me, you can. He crowns your life with love. When ransomed from the grave, he that redeemed my soul from hell has sovereign power to save. He fills the poor with good, he gives the sufferers rest. The Lord has judgments for the proud and justice for the oppressed. His wondrous works and ways he made by Moses known. But sent the world his truth and grace by his beloved son. That was four of the six verses. But, I mean, it's just a good summarization of Psalm 28, I think. And I don't know if it was meant, written that way by Isaac Watts or not, but it, it, he, Isaac Watts is one of those guys, you prick him and he bleeds the Bible. I mean, it was, so it, it would come out in many of his hymns. And so. Anyways, any questions or anything about Psalm 28? Anything else about Psalm 28? Anything stick out? As you think about how could you use this on a Saturday night or early Sunday morning to help you and your family prepare yourselves for church, things like that, anything about the psalm? Yes, we carry ourselves, but here, yes, but the Lord is the one who carries us, right? Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. Take him out. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. So think of that communal aspect. So let's do a little practice before we close, okay? So we're going to go through each of the sections. Think about how would you use this, these verses praying. You may, you'll have to change. You'll have to change pronouns and maybe some verb tense. But if you were praying Psalm 28 for someone, a Christian, going through a dark season, maybe they're being, maybe they're being slandered, maybe they're being prosecuted, maybe they're being... Um, um, they're being physically harmed. You know, I think about brothers and sisters in the Middle East, things like that. How would you then change, or how would you employ Psalm 28 as a prayer on their behalf for them? So here it is. So how would you change like verse 1 and 2? How would it sound, just generally, how would it sound, verse 1 and 2? Yeah. 
Yeah, or you could even say, hear their pleas. I'm praying for them, but hear them. Don't be silent to them, right? Don't let them go down into the pit, right? Or feel like they're going down in the pit. Very good. All right, so then verses 3 through 5. How would 3 through 5 then, as you're using this, say you're using this on behalf of someone else, how would 3 through 5 then play out in your prayer for them? Yeah, you just change the pronoun to them, right? But don't drag them off. Make a distinction in their favor, showing that they really are your people and they're not like all the rest of these who are doing evil, right? And then, um, and, and Lord, for the evildoers that are attacking them, look, give them according to their work, according to the evil of their deeds, etc. And if they will not repent because they have no regard for your works, then tear them down and build them up no more. How about verse... 6 and 7. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. Be their strength and shield. May their heart always trust in you. Be their help. Whatever. Or, or if after the Lord has answered that prayer and you see some success or you see some change there, then actually turning this into thanksgiving on their behalf. Right? Lord, you have helped them. I'm going to sing a song. I'm so excited for them. Right? And then um, verse 8 and 9. We'll, how would that look? Or sound? Yeah, almost the same. Yeah. And then you could end verse 9 with just praying for them. Save your people, bless your heritage, be their shepherd, and carry them forever. Right? Now, Psalms are, are meant for us to use just like that we just practice we just walk through and practice it it's actually meant for us to use to pray to pray for others and as we do so remember our lord jesus who inspired these psalms never forget that uses these when he's interceding for us the psalms are part of his intercession for us and as we then jump in and put out our voices we're showing that union we have with our great high priest and king our messiah the anointed one and we're praying with him. Okay? There you go. Anything else in Psalm 28? Yeah, right. Sure. Or there's answers to prayers that we even didn't even have, we weren't even thinking of, right? Yeah. And so that's a very good point. I mean, actually stopping every so often and going, oh, look at what God is doing already. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's very good. All right, so next week we'll do Psalm 29. So you can be reading it this week. So Psalm 29, God's voice, how it shakes the cedars of Lebanon and causes deer to give birth. That's a great song. Okay? So let's pray. Lord God, thank you that we can run to you. You are our stronghold and our defense. You do make a distinction between your people and those who are doing evil and those who are even speaking peace with their mouths while there's not an ounce of peace in their hearts, Lord. We thank you make that distinction, that you are our stronghold, our, Ye- our Yeshua, our saving place, refuge. 
And so, Lord, we do pray. We pray with the psalmist. We pray and we think of people in our hearts. We think of churches. We think of places on our, on our hearts, Lord. So we pray with the psalmist. So, Lord, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them. Carry them forever. Prepare our hearts now as we get ready to enter into the great assembly to worship you and adore you, Lord. May our hearts be lifted up with, with satisfaction. May we open our mouths singing with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.